Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're handling from. Welcome to the very first ever DevOps-ish podcast slash Twitter space at the moment. That is the primary reporting mechanism is the Twitter space itself, so folks can ask questions during this podcast rather easily. Um, so let's get started with the uh, the kind of the news of the week, as I say. Um, and this isn't me just rehashing the newsletter. Um, the newsletter itself, while awesome, you should check it out at devopsers.com, is sponsored by our friends at Honeycomb. I should definitely mention that because they have enabled a full year of me not worrying about sponsorships. So thank you to them, and you should definitely check out honeycomb.io for their product pitches and such because, you know, observability is good. Um, this week in the intro, I just talked about what we're doing right now, basically recording a podcast where folk can and if they if i follow you you can automatically start talking i think if you want that's the way i set it up hopefully um so yeah let's look at the inputs of the newsletter as i call it so let's start with and you know here's how it works here's how devops the newsletter comes together i read the news right like i read tech news constantly so I take that tech news and I then share it through my suggested reads on social media and such. And that popularity of those social feeds themselves kind of dictates what goes into the newsletter. So it's, it's an interesting way to get feedback on content. It's an interesting way to put content together um, in the sense of you know, a newsletter per se. So I give some credence to the people that read the articles, uh, not just myself, but let's just look at the raw inputs. Um, so Harper's Bazaar did a piece. This is, this is me looking at my top tweets of the week from the last week. Um, Harper's Bazaar did this article about um, the pain of complicated moms. And I shared this because I have a complicated relationship with my mom, and I know a ton of other people in tech have complicated relationships with their parents, like myself. So apparently Jeanette McCurdy, who, if you remember, uh, I only know her from like her Nickelodeon days and my kid, uh, my daughter, watching those episodes of iCarly, I think it was, where she was a co-star. So... Is it's interesting to see a, another like public person talking about the issues they have with their mother. Um, so that was actually my most viewed tweet last week, but never actually ended up in the newsletter itself. Um, I think it's in the notes, but that's about it. But this is also why I create notes files for every newsletter, and I just filter through what I think the audience would like to read best. Um, I had another tweet thread that was pretty well engaged with about Detroit. Um, Detroit is awesome. That tweet thread uh, went gangbusters, but the primary link in there is Time Magazine named Detroit one of the you know major cities to come to or visit in 2022. So check check out my Twitter th threads feed on that, and you'll enjoy yourselves but you know did a quick review on twitter of the steam deck that got some traction um and then let's see 
Uh, yeah, that's about it from Twitter regarding cool stuff there. So let's go to the DevOps subreddit. So if I say, hey, what was hot? The top things in the past week. Not hot things, just top things for the past week. Refresh that. Um, Cash Grand. Uh, I talked about this on Friday. I mentioned it in the newsletter this week, but it is a, quote, modern OSS key value store built for today's hardware. So it looks to replace Redis, essentially. And it, like, wildly popular, right? Like on Twitter, on social media in general, it was just went gangbusters, the mention of it. So check it out. It's called Cash Grand, all one word, like a grand, like a thousand dollars cash, like you're trying to cash something, um, not money. Uh, but ooh, yeah, bad uh, references there. So yeah, check out that one. Um, it's a you know very infancy level project. So you know, your mileage may vary, but that's definitely worth reading. Uh, the Patagonia founder gave away their entire company uh, to fight climate change. So it went from a billionaire one day to a regular person overnight kind of deal. Interesting story, not necessarily, you know, aimed at this audience, but it is definitely highly ranked. Uh, let's see. The, the, the AIML community, there, there's a thing called MVD, so E-N-V-D, from TensorCord. Definitely worth checking out. Um, uh, an opinion piece from... Farhad Manju of New York Times, nuclear power still doesn't make much sense. It was an interesting piece because, like, I'm interested in power sources and energy in general, right? Like, you know, I like UPSs on my servers here in the house and, you know, network gear and so forth. Uh, so, like, power sources are interesting. And this actually, like, took the cost of building a nuclear power plant, running it, and everything else and compared it to solar and wind you know, like full life cycle. And it's like orders of magnitude cheaper now to build wind farms and solar farms than it is to build a nuclear reactor and put it into service, um, which that's really cool. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the piece I thought was interesting, go to the DevOps subreddit, look at what's hot this week, and it will be towards the top. Uh, another project, How to Learn Modern Rust, a guide to the adventurer. You can definitely find that in this week's DevOps-ish notes. Um, you know, it's just like a walkthrough guide, kind of like how to learn Rust. Um, Rust is a very popular language these days, so anything about Rust usually takes off. And with that, let's see... DevOps was the second most stressful, like Spacelift did a blog post um, IT is stressful, right? Ask DevOps, they'll know stresses in the IT sector, right? Like they're just that's the headline. Run with that. Some of the key findings were around 31% of employees in the entire IT sector missed a day because of stress. That's interesting. Women working in the IT sector experience much less stress than those in non-IT jobs. I find that odd. Um, but you know, DevOps engineers are more frequently stressed than the average IT person. Over 40% of them admit to being stressed often or very often compared to 34% of the IT average. So I wonder how that relates 
like women in DevOps, right? Like, is it that much worse? I don't know. Over 39% of DevOps engineers admit that work-related stress impacts their personal lives. Absolutely. Any kind of stressor, external or not, will change how you, uh, unless you have like some amazing brain firewall skills, will change how you just act in life. Um, <clears throat> so hello, Marino. How are you today, sir? I can invite you to be a co-host if you want. Um, hello, Kim, and everyone else joining. Lauren, how are you doing? Good to see y'all. Uh, irritability has been pointed out as one of the most common stress symptoms among IT professionals, especially DevOps. 55% of them selected this area. Uh, interesting. We're irritated. Um, is that irritation towards the tooling? Is that irritation towards the process? Is that irritation towards the people? Don't know. Um, if you know me and you've read DevOps for long enough, you know that I think of, uh, DevOps as three components, people, process, and tools. That's the three main sections of the newsletter. So which one of those three is making DevOps professionals irritable? That's what I'm curious to hear about a little more. Uh, what's next? Uh, Chris Nova had a great piece uh, on why fix Kubernetes and System D. Uh, Chris is running with the, I don't know how to pronounce it, the Aura project. Um, built off of some other work she's been doing. So, you know, a lot of Chris's work is kind of iterative in the sense of, hey, it's a hobby little thing. Oh, hey, now it's turning into something big. Uh, so Chris Nova's repo, A-U-R-A-E. Yeah, or like that should be in the notes for this week for DevOps 285. So definitely check that out if it's not uh, in the newsletter itself. Uh, I will star it and then definitely put it in next week's newsletter, maybe, if it makes sense. Okay, thank you, tool. Um, tools are unforgiving sometimes, especially tabs. So hackers had access to LastPass's development systems for four full days. Uh, like... Could you imagine if someone was in your build system for four days and what impact that would have on you as a company? I don't know. Like LastPass has precipitously fallen off since I stopped using them in like, geez, the early 2010s. I don't know. LastPass has kind of really gone downhill. They got acquired and then they got spun out. And it's just been one thing after another with them, I feel like. Uh, so... You know, your mileage may vary. Obviously, if you like LastPass, continue using it, but yeesh. Uh, luckily, they weren't able to decrypt anything, these hackers, because they didn't have any decryption keys or anything, but they were just somehow in the environment, just chilling, figuring things out. Pretty wild. Um, so, yeah. Reno, any thoughts there? <laughs> Putting me on the spot there. Um, I just, I actually, I think I'm subscribed to your newsletter. I can't remember. I'm subscribed to so many newsletters. Ah, here we go. I am subscribed. I think I read one of yours and I was pretty impressed upon like the various different thoughts that you bring in. Um, and I actually, I actually had questions, right? Like how did you go about starting to develop a newsletter? What was the inspiration behind that? And part of the reason behind this question is because I want to do my own. Um, I also don't want to copy, but 
I'd love ideas and I'd, I'd like to be inspired. So it all started with like a very simple premise that I need to continue learning, right? Like continuous learning is a big deal. Um, so when I got out of the Air Force, I basically went from continuously learning from all these, you know, sources in the military to continuously learning from all these sources outside the military. And then it was, okay, I'm consuming all this material. I'm, I'm reading it. I'm enjoying it. Maybe I should share this out somehow. Maybe other people will enjoy this too. So I set up at the time, it was like, if this, then that to Twitter and LinkedIn, it's evolved a lot since then. It's now Zapier and Buffer and all this, you know, raindrop.io. But basically I read the news and I share the news that I read every week. Um, and basically the premise is, does this item fit within the construct of the newsletter and the construct of the newsletter being people processing tools? So I've been sharing these things for years as suggested reads, or they were before were called recommended reads. Now they're suggested reads because it's less strong language because automation and headlines sometimes don't work with the word recommended. So interesting lesson learned there. But so then I was seeing that, okay, sharing these things, sharing these news stories on social media is actually gaining like some momentum. So some stories went, you know, got lots of interaction on you know, LinkedIn or Twitter or both. And I was like, you know, I should somehow create a newsletter every week. And at first it was just me going through the list of stuff that I read that week because I put everything in pocket. Now I use Raindrop. Um, for what, for various reasons. Uh, but you know, I just save everything in raindrop and then I would go through the entire list of thing and create a newsletter out of it. Now I've got a little bit more structure around it where it's like people processing tools in that order for that reason, because you know, the people are most important part, the process is the next thing. And then tools, there's just a variety of them. And here you go. Like any combination of tooling and people and process can do anything essentially an ID. Um, so it went from me just learning on my own to me sharing my learnings to me just structuring my learnings. And then now I take another component of analytics from the various social media services it gets shared out on, which is Reddit, LinkedIn, and Twitter, my primary audiences. So now I take that analytical data and say, oh, this should definitely go in. This should you know, not, this should just stay in the notes kind of thing, or maybe not even mentioned at all. And yeah, it's just kind of gone from there. So it went from me just learning on my own to me saving my learnings and sharing them with others. And then that became a newsletter. And now that newsletter has now turned into a podcast because of, you know, I just want to do podcasting because people say I have a nice voice. So there you go. That's how it all kind of started and became a thing. That's that's really uh, that's awesome. Um, and I actually have a follow up. So how do you ensure that what you do uh, for your newsletter doesn't negatively impact the brand um, for, let's say, the company that you work for and also create a disassociation from that brand altogether? Because let's say you decide, hey, tomorrow I don't want to work for this company. I want to work elsewhere. Um, do you feel like it's currently attached in any way or? Is it easy enough to just walk away without having to worry about tarnishing your brand? So that's a very good question. You know, how do you 
keep your brand, quote, clean and, you know, separation of church and state is how I like to refer to it. Um, like right now, everything that I'm using to do this newsletter is mine personally. Um, right. Like there's no Amazon services involved because AWS is my employer. Um, and I intend to keep it that way. Right. So like if I was on AWS before, I probably would have moved off just because I wanted that separation. So, you know, I don't use my work computer. Even when I'm on the road, I log into, you know, my personal computer remotely. So basically it's just a connection VPN wise, my work computer to another computer where the work actually gets done. Um, but most of it is, you know, like I look at DevOps-ish, the brand, the newsletter, the information engine as an extension of what I do at work. So when I worked at Red Hat, I shared Red Hatty things that I would work on and, you know, live streams and stuff like that that I did. Now that I'm here at AWS, I share AWS things that I'm interested in or I've worked on or, you know, someone close, a close personal friend has worked on, right? Because Let's face it, right? Like, no matter what, if I share an article from Google, Amazon, Microsoft, wherever, like, I'm making one of my friends happy, <laughs> more than likely, right? Because most of my friends work for a tech company. So it's it's always nice to be able to, like, have that value add from an employer's perspective, right? Like, oh yeah, you kind of get three skids into my 6,000 person plus newsletter too, by the way. <laughs> is that a good thing? I don't know. Is it a marketable, is it a marketable thing? Yes. Um, you know, and like, it's not that I don't share Red Hat content. I, you know, if, if something from Red Hat's good enough, I share it. And I have, if something from AWS doesn't, meet the standard, then I won't share it in the newsletter, right? Like, even though I might have, you know, previously, it's just one of those things where it's like, you have to play, you know, how, how does this look to your employer versus how does this look to your brand? And you basically have to draw a hard line. And I do that via my disclaimer, right? Like, I think, uh, I know ChrisShort.net has a disclaimer. I know if you go to devopsers.com slash terms, there's probably a disclaimer in there. And basically, it disclaims all works from CNCF Ambassador, from AWS, Amazon, you know, anything that I'm involved in. There's a disclaimer in there that these are solely my opinions. And um, that's it, right? Like, it's not, even even if it's, my writing from AWS, right? Like even AWS has, you know, some disclaimer ability that, you know, yeah, he wrote that for us or, you know, right. Like they reuse the content, no matter what, whoever authored it, if they've left, right. Like it's going to stay on the blog. So <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, you know, just because I featured a lot of Red Hat stuff before, doesn't mean I won't in the future or, would feature more AWS stuff now. It's just, I'm actually, you know, if I had to share, I share them no matter what work job they're from. But really the hard line there, Marino, is the actual terms and conditions, the disclaimer there uh, that has saved me. Well, <laughs> true story. Um, I got off a plane one day. I think I was in Boston. 
I got this phone call from a number I'd never seen before, and it was the head of CF, Dan Cohen, and it was after I wrote uh, an article about Docker in 2017, and I had just become a CNCF ambassador, and he was like, do you have any disclaimer on your website? I'm like, yes, actually, I do have a disclaimer on my website. He's like, could you move that like, and just copy and paste that into the top of your article about Docker there, and uh, yeah, definitely add CNCF to that, and yeah, we'll be good. Because uh, Docker had called him saying, hey, this new CNCF ambassador is writing bad things about us, and they didn't like that. So, true story there. Uh, that's why I first, quote, met Dan Cohn was a phone call uh, <laughs> about, you know, hey, CNCF ambassador, new person, do me a favor and add your disclaimer to that article specifically. So, yes, in terms for DevOpsish, I disclaim Amazon. CNCF and sponsors of Crystal because obviously my opinion does not reflect on that. Um, although Honeycomb and I kind of see things pretty similarly in general. That is awesome. I actually have another question for you in terms of the kind of content that you select um, and how you go about, you know, choosing what you feel is right for your your newsletter when you um, when you release it. And why that why I ask this is because there are so many articles that get published, videos. There's so many amazing developers out there that are creating new things, DevOps engineers, and even developer advocates for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, how do you narrow it down to what you think might be relevant? Or even not sorry, not so much relevant, but uh, well, relevant obviously, but more so impactful, um, in terms of like making sure that the community is aware and and can learn things from it because there's just a lot, right? How do you narrow that yeah. down? Oh yeah, so I know there's a lot, and like I think I share, I forget the count. I think I share close to like seventy five things a week. And right, like keep in mind, right, like before I hit that share button, I have to make this question. I asked this question that Corey Quinn asked me a long time ago. Okay, cool. What does that have to do with DevOps? Or what does this have to do with cloud native? Or what does this have to do with GitOps? Or what does this have to do with open source? Or just the tech industry in general, right? Like, so that kind of, that helps me, you know, asking that question. And, you know, the voice of Corey Quinn coming in and saying, what does this have to do with DevOps? Um, yeah, that's, that's mainly the guiding light there. Um, but in that people section up top, that's where I'll put more of the so-and-so CEO later, the whole Safia Zoom kind of thing, because like, that's not a great responsible way to handle things. Uh, but like this can happen, I guess, in this environment that we're in nowadays. So yeah, a lot of it is me just being diligent about my inputs. So I use I know reader, I N O reader.com as my feed reader. You can subscribe to newsletters through it. Like you can have rules and filters and like basically I filter all my news through I know reader. That way I don't get any triggering news that I don't want to see. And I also get kind of the best of the best news because they have a kind of like hotness rating. Um every post, every link in my RSS feeder. And that activity is based on activity that is happening within the Ino reader, you know, readership itself and some other inputs that I'm sure they've, you know, tried to level out the, you know, statistical aggregate of how hot a piece of content is. So, you know, I can, I can do my filtering through Ino reader itself 
to make sure I only see good content that I want to see, right? Like some things that I block are like uh, COVID-19, for example, or anything about like cryptocurrency, like 12 matches today, <laughs> right? Like stuff I'm not reading, cryptocurrency stuff, right? Like I, I literally don't care about that from a newsletter perspective. So like crypto, Bitcoin, NFT, Ethereum those automatically get crossed off the list. I don't have to read those or go through those. And there's a bunch of other inputs too, right? Like I do filtering on a per feed basis sometimes too, right? Like there's one great thing coming out of input.com like once a week, right? But like you have to get through all the, oh, here's the new Adidas shoe. Oh, here's the new Reebok shoe. Well, okay, that's cool. But I don't necessarily want to hear about shoes. I want to hear about the tech stuff you talk about you can filter through a feed. So like I have Adidas and Reebok and how to dress and those keywords kind of thing, those get filtered out as well. So, you know, having an RSS reader that allows you to do filtering is very powerful and very um, like it keeps you within that confined scope that you need to be in, right? Like, you know, it takes you a lot of time every night to go through that RSS reader and, if I don't stay on top of it, 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 it gets over 500, you know, unread articles, right? Like I have to do some certain gymnastics to get that number down very quickly. So, you know, like the busier feed, the busier your feed is, the less likely I am to subscribe to it, right? Because if you have a bunch of cruft that you churn out, that means I have a bunch of filtering that I have to do to actually consume the little bits of good that come out of your blog posts or your RSS feed or whatever I'm doing following wise. I know reader has more than one way to follow something than RSS feeds. So basically a good feed reader, good filtering, and then having that, you know, voice of Corey Quinn in the back of your head. What does this have to do with the topics your newsletter cover? Sometimes it's not that, right? Like in the intro, I'll write about whatever I want, right? Like this is my opinion this week. Sometimes I solicit user feedback and I wrote an intro to EVP ebpf a few weeks ago and then you know now the readership is informed about what ebpf is where to use it in context and now as they see more things about ebpf through the newsletter they can understand them other times it's hey this really weird bad thing happened in tech and this is kind of a you know thing that we should fix or it's about you know what i did this week kind of thing so like next week's newsletter is probably going to be about DevOps Day Chicago, for example, in the intro. Just based off what I'm doing that week, I kind of know what I need to focus on. You know, taking notes on or whatever is, you know, how I look at the intro and then the actual components of the newsletter itself. Yeah, a lot of words, a lot of filtering is basically the answer. You you mean this week, right? Because I'm literally flying to Chicago tomorrow. <laughs> yes, I am flying to Chicago tomorrow as well. Um, I land. When do I land? I get into Chicago at one fit two o'clock uh, Chicago time. So sorry, OCI team. I probably won't be at the reference type workshop, even though I'm not blocked on something else this week. That stinks. But anyways, um, so yeah, I'll be at DevOps Day Chicago this week, and I'm flying back Friday morning. So. I can get back for stand up and some lessons learned. Yeah, I'm I'm doing roughly the same, and I think um, 
I think assuming that I have no delays because I've been having endless delays leaving Canada. It's just oh, been God. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> or cancellations. I, I should be there probably evening-ish, so I'll catch up with you then. Um, and Tech God, I think, is also going to be at DevOps Day Chicago because I was just looking at their profile and uh, and noticed that uh, it was in their name. So hope to meet you there, Tech God. Yeah, no kidding. Um, that's part of the reason why I go to DevOps Days is to talk to the sponsors and especially the newer ones that I haven't seen at a DevOps Days before. Yes, I'm actually one of those people that talks to sponsors of conferences and tries to learn the value you bring to the environment. And if it's cool, I'll even mention you. Uh, you know, so yeah, just that's like that's all you have to do is show up and be interesting and kind of get my attention. Um, the last DevOps days I went to DevOps days Seattle, very much like that. Every day I kind of just walked around that U-shape sponsor area and at least once a day, somebody would stop me and be like, hey, can I tell you about my thing? And it's like, absolutely. I would love to about your thing. Because those people enable those conferences to exist. And to not talk to them is like, okay, you know, like, I get it. You don't want to be pitched a bunch of stuff. But if you already know what some, some things are, that makes it a lot easier to go talk to the things that you don't know about. Yeah, DevOps Days is always a learning experience. Specifically for me, this DevOps Days, I'm not speaking. I'm not part of any sponsor activities. I want to hear people's pain points around containers. Like, I don't get anywhere in the container lifecycle. I want to hear your pain points. If it's running them in Kubernetes or ECS or wherever you run them, however you run them, Nomad, I don't care. I want to hear the pain points around you building them, you running them, you pushing and pulling them. I want to hear all those pain points. I was just going to chime in and ask, um, you know, in terms of DevOps days, so I, I actually will be staffing our booth alongside two other field engineers, um, and I'll be doing the sponsor pitch, but I I normally do on occasion will support that booth. Um, but when you think about who should be at that booth, um, who who's the right person that should be sitting at that desk or having conversations with the DevOps days attendee? And I'm asking this because it's it's one of those things that I've been trying to determine what the right mix is. Like, do we want developer advocates there? Do we want, you know, marketing folks? Do we want folks from sales or field engineering or even engineers, developers, or even the practitioners of some of these technologies? And trying to figure out that right mix is has always been interesting and it's always been a bit of a, a push and pull within the organization. Yeah. And you know, for us. At AWS, we continuously have this discussion, uh, literally about anything we do. Um, and, you know, we say, you know, for DevOps days, you're going to need somebody that understands open source and DevOps. And, like, just, like, have a general, like, you've read the Phoenix Project, right? Like, low barrier to entry. But, you know, having an understanding of pain points, where they kind of happen, and that they're, you're there to help people solve their pain points. Um, then you can have a marketing or a sales engineer or solutions architect kind of person there. But just keep in mind that like they're going to have a lot fewer conversations than, say, the developer advocate. So you got to make sure they get some value add and going, not just sitting there at the booth kind of thing, right? Like I get it if it's like an open source summit, right? Like 
your ospo is sitting there at the booth all day of course that kind of makes sense but like for a devops days you need to kind of have a da there you need to have maybe an engineer there because i think those are the most fruitful conversations is when somebody from the booth and you know two or three people from you know organization x sit down and talk about how to implement a solution i've seen that happen so many times at devops days so like that right there pays for the sponsorship <laughs> like one sale pays for the sponsorship basically so having just an entryway a clear entryway into the funnel right there on site and everybody there knowing who to hand people off to right for a real technical discussion uh, if that means an engineer has two technical discussions a day and goes to like five talks, cool. But you should also have a way to get in contact with that engineer when you have somebody that wants to talk about the product, right? So that engineer needs to know that like, hey, you're there. Yeah, it's cool. We'll go to some talks and stuff. But if we need you, please come out and like talk to a potential customer kind of thing. That's a very fascinating perspective. Um, and I actually, I resonate with that very well because the, the folks showing up to those booths are those that are working on these technologies, dealing with various challenges day in, day out. Like mm -hmm. it'd be as simple as, hey, I, we just started using Kubernetes and I have no idea how to use an API gateway. Right. To, I am using API gateways. Let's, you know, we're ready for a service mesh to how do I deal with key management or something along those lines. So the conversations are are much more technical. And that's why I strongly agree that, you know, having a, a blend of developer advocates, engineers, or even field engineers, those that actually work on the, on the technology is far better. But then how do you ensure things like lead captures? Because marketing as a function is funding these sponsorships. And so their expectations is that, you know, we're going to be able to generate some leads out what are your thoughts on that so you have to so having been a principal uh marketing manager before or in product marketing especially having done that before having been the engineer the devops engineer and having been the you know developer advocate you kind of have to push back on, especially for DevOps days, right? Like it specifically says in their like things, like the only way you can do like any kind of lead generation, you can't, you can't do specific quote lead generation. You can do giveaways and collect people's info on that. But if you solicit them, you're in violation of the DevOps days code of conduct or whatever for sponsors and you're done. Right. So there's that way, right? Like, you have to understand that you have to have a presence at these events, especially in places where the technical people work and live, right? Now, that doesn't mean go sponsor, you know, everybody go sponsor DevOps Days San Francisco and nobody go sponsor, you know, DevOps Days Birmingham, Alabama. Absolutely not. Like, Birmingham, Alabama has a big tech scene, especially in government. So if you sell to government, you want to go to DevOps Days Birmingham, Alabama. If you sell to government, you want to go to DevOps Days Tampa Bay because of McDill Air Force bases down there. Um, if you sell to, you know, people in tech, you want to hit up those major tech cities, which include, you know, San Francisco or, you know, Silicon Valley in general, Austin, Raleigh, Chicago, Detroit, New York. You know, those are all places where just having a presence gets you skin, 
in the game. And if that skin in the game then can turn into some people like picking up your brochure and trying out your product, there's just kind of that natural thing that just happens. Now, I've seen some people get creative with DevOps days and, you know, that kind of thing, and they've gotten in trouble. So just keep that in mind. Like DevOps days are different than other events. Like KubeCon is a way different event for the sponsors than than DevOps days. KubeCon is all about scanning badges, getting leads, that kind of thing. Go sponsor that, right? Like go sponsor the events where, you know, you're allowed to scan the badges and do your traditional top of funnel kind of thing. If you're not ready for a non-traditional top of funnel, then you're not ready for a DevOps days event. That's kind of my thing, right? Like if you haven't figured out as an organization that you need to show up in these places and talk about the things you want to talk about and guide the narrative around your products or projects. Um, If you haven't learned that yet in this day and age, right? Like having the presence alone is huge so as a follow-on to that right like I, I'm, I'm a growing developer advocate in the mm-hmm. way like just making sure that i am um, do, i'm doing the right things now i i always want to make sure that i end up at as many devops days as possible whether or not we sponsor whether or not i get speaking engagements or whatever that might be um how do i justify the leadership that whether or not we sponsor, there should always be a presence at these DevOps days. Yeah, right. Like, that's why part of the reason why I'm going to Chicago. I don't know if we're sponsoring Chicago or not. Uh, I would assume so, given how many uh, AWS users that are based in downtown Chicago, but you never know. Um, but the the thing I'm going to go do is, like I said, go learn about the pain points people have. whereas like that value alone, those anecdotes, we have a mechanism to consume those here at AWS and to kind of run with them and say, hey, these are some of the complaints Chris heard from a very, you know, mixed audience at a DevOps Days event in Chicago, along with other inputs he has on Twitter and LinkedIn and newsletter and everything else, right? Like if he says this is a problem, you probably want to fix it kind of thing, right? And like, you can't do that unless you have people there talking to people. And most of that hallway track stuff that I do ends up becoming the reason I go to a conference. Like the last KubeCon I went to, I went to no talks. It was the first time I've never done a talk before and only did hallway track. Um, and it wasn't planned by any stretch of the imagination. I had a list of talks I wanted to go to, but it just ended up being where I just talked to everybody else. Um, and like that wasn't in the booth that was just outside talking about anything and everything. And, you know, the badge says AWS. So <laughs> I'm talking about it in an AWS context or in a, you know, I have roles in the community. I'm talking in that community context potentially sometimes, but nine times out of 10, it's a good to have your, you know, good to make a showing that showing could be any level, right? Like you don't necessarily have to have a booth and send people, but you need to make a showing at these events and, you know, sponsoring them either via low key things, just to have your name there or via more interactive things where you send a contingent of people where you've got someone from marketing, someone from sales, somebody from engineering, somebody from you know developer advocacy, whatever mix of people you determine your company needs to send to these things. 
they have to go to talks too, and they have to participate in the uh, the the open sessions at the end of the days on DevOps days. Uh, where at KubeCon, it is just you need to be there. You need to catch people's attention. You need to let people know this is the problem you're trying to solve. And like we don't get to that fast enough a lot in marketing, right? Like, what problem are you solving me? You know, like. Why do I have to spend 30 minutes for you to tell me about your thing so I can then learn what problem you're solving? What problem are you solving is what I normally ask people when I walk up to them. If they, especially if they flag me down, right? Because I like, oh, you're ready for me. <laughs> so yeah, what problem are you solving? If you are a sponsor, isn't nine times out of 10 my question, but making sure that you're seen at these events in some form is very valuable because brand recognition is huge and i can tell you that you know brand recognition matters way more than any individual lead um how you quantify that is tough uh but the you know like try to make some caveats to your 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 funnel when you can right like when i was doing live streaming for red hat we had a number of like just bot commands where I'd just be like bang X and it would say, Oh yeah, check out this upcoming event or, Oh, go download this ebook kind of thing. And like, that was ways to put people into the funnel from the live streams and recordings themselves. So maybe you can do that at the event somehow, right? Like if you're the lanyard sponsor, you know, be sure to put your domain name on the lanyard. Those kinds of things are important, right? Like you have to put the funnel someplace. And if the idea is, oh, yeah, you want to use our product, well, you know, sign up here for the demo. Cool. But that you have to have a discussion with that person before it happens, regardless. So having that discussion at a DevOps day is, is incredibly powerful versus a, you know, massive tech conference with tens of thousands of people. Go towards those localities. Like, I have a short list of the localities I want to hit here in the U.S. next year to talk about what I want to talk about. Um, your company, your organization should too, based off your needs and the audiences you look to talk to. All right. So I have a request for the link to the LastPass issue. So let's see here. Um... I don't know where that is, but I know that it was in the notes this week. Let me go find it. So, yeah. Chris, you just kind of disappeared there. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened to your audio. Um, I, I will say, though, like um, the newsletter that Chris makes is pretty damn good. Go take a look at it. Subscribe to it if you aren't already. It's a really good summary of some of the key things going on in the DevOps space. Um, I have a lot of like, you know, thoughts I want to add to my own newsletter at some point. Hey, Chris, I think I can hear you now. Hey, sorry. Sorry about that. I swiped away from and apparently that ends all communication with. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, I do have to uh, take off actually right now. So I, I just want to say thank you so much for hosting this, Chris. I hope you do this more often um, since this is the first. I hope there is one next week or whenever you do publish a, a next, another newsletter. Yeah. I will be there. Cool. Awesome.
I look forward to it. This will be a regular thing on the Mondays after the newsletter comes out, or the business day after the newsletter comes out, I guess. Um, so with that, thank you, Marino. Um, we are about the 44-minute mark. I think this is plenty, plenty long enough for anyone else. Does anyone want to come off mic real quick and you know say anything, ask a question? I'll ask the audience here. Uh, doesn't look like it initially. Cool. Um, so yeah, folks, this was the first DevOpsish podcast. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for the audience, uh, that came to the Twitter space, uh, next week, it, you know, it will be in the newsletter, whether or not, um, you want to join you can join it live or you can listen to this after the fact on the, the podcast network of your choice so hang on just a second somebody is coming up uh, requested uh yes i accepted so luftwa the beatsmith or aka eddie <laughs> unmute yourself and you'll be able to talk G'day, I was going to say thanks for having us. The space is pretty cool. And to everyone from Australia, g'day. Yeah, g'day. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks, y'all.